0: Here at Grace Church, like Pastor Trey was talking about, we believe in the power of prayer. And so we take time during every service to lift up uh, those needs that have been lifted to us in our community. If you have one, it is not too late to submit it online in the chat for our digital minister or in our green prayer box over there. Or there are prayer cards in the back of your seat pockets uh, that you can fill out and let us know as well. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that we can come before you with the confidence of children, knowing that we are heard when we come before you with our requests, God. So we lift up um, all of those that we have spoken aloud, but also those that we hold close to our hearts, God. We know that you hear them, that you hold them in your holy hands, God. So we give them to you this morning. We lift up specifically uh, Ken and John Locke, who are both battling cancer. God, we lift up Mike Hodgson, who is battling COVID right now. We ask for healing for all of those who are continuing to fight COVID. God, we pray for uh, the nurses and the doctors and the people who are working tirelessly behind the lines, uh, fighting for the end of this pandemic. God, we lift up our school systems who are affected by this pandemic. God, we lift up our teachers' our educators, our administrators, our students, God, um, as we continue to see a spike in those places, God, we just pray a hedge of protection. We pray wellness. We pray wholeness there so that they may have an uninterrupted, wonderful educational experience this school year. God, we praise you for uh, Tristan Dam being released from the hospital. And we pray you that the Crutcher family is doing better now. God, we lift up the walk. Uh, number 94 and 95 are men's and women's Emmaus walks that are going on these next two weekends. God, we pray that they would be a sacred and wonderful experience for those who are attending and those who are serving God. We lift up especially the pilgrims who are going from this church. We lift up Nisha Thompson. We lift up Mike Rosey, and we lift up Hank Calhoun. We pray that their experience would be a blessed and life-changing experience. God, we pray for Beth Corson's fiance, Brian, as he uh, comes home from overseas. God, we lift up uh, Sandra Robertson's brother-in-law who is having health problems. God, we pray for Dorothy as she recovers from COVID. We pray for Deidre Tennyson, who is in need of a new car. God, we pray for transportation there. Lord, we lift up Sister Brandy's unspoken prayer request as well. God, in all of those things that we know that you care about, God, you care about every aspect of our lives. You know the number of hairs that are on our heads. You know the cares that we carry, God, those heavy burdens. Help us to lay them before you and to leave them there, God, in your holy care. And God, when our groaning and our complaining becomes too much, we don't even have words to speak for those things that we wish to express to you, God. Thank you that your Holy Spirit intercedes for us in that case and that we can call, recall back those words that you taught us so long ago when you taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now I
1: invite all of the children that are with us to come forward for a message that is prepared uh, just for them. Guys can just chill out and take a seat either on the floor or on the edge of the stage. So it's totally fine. And for those of y'all who heard this first service, it's different because we didn't just have a moment where a guy fell over. Um, okay, so I want y'all for a second to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes. And I want you just to picture Jesus, right? Tall guy, long hair, beard, flowing ropes. Okay, you got this, some picture of Jesus in your mind. Now imagine that there's a person that needs help. Maybe they've fallen. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're uh, being attacked by a demon. Who knows? But imagine a person that is in need of help. And imagine Jesus walks up to this person. Okay. Now I want you to open your eyes. Now tell me, in your mind, when Jesus saw this person that needed help, what did Jesus do? Someone raise their hand and tell me. In your mind, what did Jesus do when Jesus saw this person? What do you got, brother? What do you got? What did Jesus do? He did die on our cross for his sins, but when, this is a really good answer. Jesus did that for that guy too. But imagine Jesus sees someone in need of help, walks up to that person. Who can tell me what they think Jesus would do in that moment? What do you got? Heal him, Heal him or cast out the demon or help him or help him up or whatever, right? Okay. So have you ever heard, that, heard the word Christian? Raise your hand if you ever heard the word Christian? Right? Okay. So this is what we call followers of Christ. Do you know what the word Christian actually means in Greek? It means little Christs, right? That every follower of Christ is supposed to be a little like, a little version of Christ. So, if when Christ sees someone in need, and we hear in scripture over and over again that they help them, and we're supposed to be little Christs, and y'all are very smart children, what does that mean that we should do when we see someone in need of help? Help them. Give them a round of applause. Okay, yeah. Okay, now let's 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 close this, our time together in prayer. So take your hands like this, put your lap like this, bow your head, close your eyes. Be after me, dear God. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. That Jesus healed so many people. That Jesus died on the cross for us. Help us to be good little Christ's, helping others when we need to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well done, friends. You guys can go back to your seats. Work. Um, our scripture this morning comes from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Um, it is uh, verses uh, 30 through 37. They went from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? As if he, Jesus, doesn't know. But they were silent. For they had argued with one another over who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, put put it among them, and, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. God. Amen. So, status is one heck of a drug. And the seeking of status drives a lot of modern life. Anyone who's, I mean, I I don't think many of us have flown an airplane in the past two years, but back before when people flew places, you would go to the gate, and you would go, okay, it's time to get on the airplane. Except first the diamond status people and then the gold status people and the platinum status people and then the diamond gold platinum status people could get on. And then this special group who paid more could get on. And there's this like curtain between first class and, and cattle class where the rest of us spend our whole lives. And all of this is so the airlines will get you to do two things. One, you really like having the status of being Diamond, Platinum, Gold, Star member, because now you get to get on the plane first and look down at all the other people as they walk through. And then they can't even see to where you're sitting, because you are that much more important. This isn't just airlines, right? A lot of life, whether it's VIP rooms, whether it's exclusive restaurants where you have to get on lists, uh, whether it is even just a membership card to a grocery store. All of that is so that you will feel that little dopamine hit of I have status and I am important and isn't that wonderful. I ran up against a rather extreme version of this when I was in college. When I was in college, I, I was very involved on campus. I was a part of a lot of organizations. It was really, you know, at that point in my life, I thought I was going to be White House Chief of Staff, and so I really wanted to, like, get ahead in life. And so this guy that I knew that was, like, fairly important on campus invited me to join a new organization that he was starting called the John Locke Society. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm trying to get ahead in life, these Guys, seemed like they are rather important. They were in student government. One of them went on to be student body president. They seemed rather important. This would be a good opportunity for me to get ahead. This will improve my status in the world because I am rubbing shoulders with these important people or something like that. I'll show you a picture of these important people. They're wonderful. Now the slides are working. We have the next one, Right? There we go, yes. Uh, So there I am, leather jacket, small glasses, long hair. That's me. Uh, Huh? It's early 2000. This was like 06, 07. It's a great look. Um, I really recommend it. Um, Yeah, it's wonderful. This is the John Locke Society. By the way, this is the entire John Locke Society. This is the whole group. This is it. No one else. And and the two ladies in the back, I had never met before we took this picture, and I had never seen them after we took this picture. This was just, this was it. I was the secretary. There was a secretary, a president, a chairman, and a treasurer, and three other people, and that was it. But what really got me about the John Locke Society wasn't that they would hold these events, none of them would do any work, I would do all the work, the event would happen, then they would have it be noted in the minutes that I had done well in the event and that they were honoring me in the official minutes of this organization of six people. It is very important. I have some of those. No, I don't. I threw them all away. (laughs) And it wasn't just that these people gave off pretentious vibes. That's probably what drew me in in the first place. It was about midway through my tenure with the John Locke Society. We had raised about 1,500 bucks by like, sending letters uh, to people and asking them to support classical liberalism on the William and Mary campus. And so, again, we'd amassed the vast fortune of 1,500 bucks. And then we spent 400 of the 1,500 to commission an official seal for the John Locke Society, and we paid a jeweler to create a jeweler's mold of the official seal of the John Locke Society, honoring the work of these six people. Then we took another few hundred of our $1,500 and subsidized our president. To, uh, to buy a ring with the official seal on it so that he could wear a ring with the official seal of the John Locke Society on it wherever he may go. He may have it to this day. I Facebook stalked him as I wrote this sermon and I, couldn't, I did not see a picture of the ring. <coughs> this began to open my eyes to the problem. This organization was perhaps not about promoting classical liberal values on this vaguely progressive campus that we lived on. This was about status. This was about someone being able to say, I am the chairman, and I am the president, and I am the secretary, and I am the treasurer. And see, I have this very important gold ring that sets me apart as a very important thinker in this world of politics. And so eventually, largely because Sydney told me I had to stop, I stepped away from the John Locke Society. Because it turns out we're not supposed to be in this for the status. We're supposed to be in this for the service. That it's not about what we get out of it. It's what the people we're serving we get, get out of it. And if you get a thank you, and if someone gives you a gold ring with John Locke's face on it, I mean, by all means, take it. I guess, if that's your vibe. But that's not the goal. The goal, as Christ lays out, is to be servant of all. That often we are tested because there is this deep human need for status. And any time we face that test of am I going to do this thing that makes, because it's going to make me look good, or am I going to do this thing that serves a person no matter what, the test is to serve the person, not seek the status. This is also why I love our good friends, the disciples, because they get this stuff wrong constantly, and it's beautiful. They're great because they're bad at it. They are bad at faith life, and they have a few advantages that we don't have. Uh, uh, Specifically, they get to walk literally aside human Jesus and talk to him all the time and like physically touch him. Like we have all these songs about he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Yeah, but that's in a spiritual sense. They get to actually like, you know, touch him and talk to him and learn from him directly. And they get stuff wrong all of the time, including here. For me, Jesus may have found it annoying. I find it hopeful. Because if we get stuff wrong, we're no different than the disciples. And the disciples had a heck of a lot better opportunity to talk to Jesus than we do. And so we can have hope that if we are not quite where we want to be on our Christian walk, yeah, neither were the disciples and they had a leg up on us as unfolds here. Because this opens, this story opens with Jesus on his journey to the cross. So Mark is evenly split. split. We have eight chapters where Jesus is moving away from Jerusalem and then eight chapters that bring us to Jerusalem, to the cross, his death. And his resurrection. So chapter 9 is the turn. Starts up north in Caesarea Philippi. And Mount Tabor where the transfiguration happens. And now we've moved south into Capernaum. And as Jesus is going along. Jesus teaches them. Or re-explains. Or once again sets up. Where this is headed. And that is verses 31 and 32. For he was teaching his disciples. Saying to them. The son of man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. This whole story that plays out in chapter nine is in the shadow of the cross. Jesus sets up this entire conversation by saying, I'm going to die I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise again. Jesus is the word of God there at the beginning. Jesus is part of how the world came into being. Jesus is Emmanuel, God among us. Jesus is the son of man. And instead of showing up on earth and like hanging out in the, like kicking the emperor out of his palace and having you know, women in toga feed him grapes or whatever on earth you did when you were Roman emperor. Well, I don't know why it's always feeding them grapes, but you know what I'm, you've seen these images in cartoons, right? Of, you know, people playing liars and, you know, people feeding you grapes and people fanning you with palm fronds. Jesus could have done all of that, right? It's the most powerful being that has ever walked the earth. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and become Roman emperor and done, lived a life of comfort and grandeur unlike anything that has ever existed before or since. He could have done anything for his own comfort. He could have showed up in Jerusalem and with a word killed anyone who was against him. And then stood up on the temple and going, hello friends, I am your great and mighty ruler. Could have done that. He didn't. Instead, he went to Jerusalem. He allowed himself to be arrested, tortured, humiliated, and killed. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Instead of being an emperor, he became a carpenter and a traveling teacher and a loving savior. He, who is the most important being that has ever walked the earth, chose to walk in such a way that served the very beings that he himself created. So then it is hilarious that in the very next breath, as they are walking along, as they're going on the 60 kilometers from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum, what do the disciples talk about? Not how amazing it is that Jesus is willing to sacrifice himself for us. Not how amazing it is that the greatest being of all is serving us, but is like, when this all happens, who of us is going to be the greatest? Good job, friends. And Jesus being Jesus, knows they have this conversation. And so he decides to get serious on them for a moment. And that is verses 33 through 37, I think. No, 35 through 37, excuse me. He sat down, called the 12, and said to them, whoever wants to, be f- whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, put it among them and taking in his arms he said to them whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me there's a few things in this passage that we as 21st century readers miss because we don't live in that culture first of all uh, do you ever know when you were a student or if you are a teacher do you ever know when you're in trouble Right, that the teacher does something that says, "No, it's serious." Now, when I was a teacher, I took my glasses off because I looked much older and much more haggard uh, without my glasses on. <laughs> Even at the age of twenty-three, I looked much older and much more haggard when I take my glasses off. That's how they knew it was serious. If I took my glasses off, um, now it was go time. Now we're really going to be teaching, right? So in ancient times, when a rabbi was about to really teach, the rabbi sat down and called the class to order. And so by Jesus sitting down and calling the class to order, he's saying, this is serious learning time. And in serious learning time, he says, right, if you want to be the best, you become the servant of all. Now that's a technical term, meaning the servant who had to not just serve the master, but the servant who was so low on the totem pole that they served the other servants. That you are supposed to put yourself, not even just as a servant, but the last of the servants. The least important servant. The servant who served everybody regardless of their station, whether they were a servant or a master or a guest. They are supposed to be the servant of the servants and everyone else. The servant of all. The other thing that should shock you to your core in this that we miss is the thing with the kid, right? We just did a children's sermon, right? We love children. We may argue that as 21st century Americans, we're vaguely obsessed with our children. Any of us who have kids or grandkids know what this is like. Your whole life is spent shepherding your kid to school, shepherding your kid to sports, staying home with your kid when they're sick, taking your kid to sports while they're still sick because the season is going and they've got to win or whatever, right? You become taxi service, you become hospital, you become. your whole life is driven by your children. And I'm not objecting to this. I love my children. Recently, we chose to have another one. But like, you know, kids matter a lot in our society. And that's wonderful. In biblical society, they were property and not that important at all. No one would welcome a child. They were the lowest rung of the family because they could not yet economically produce. They didn't matter. And so for a kid to be welcomed in to important disciple class time, and have the Lord of all put his arms around this child would have shocked them to be told that you're supposed to welcome even a little one and be servant of all. That's not just like help a person every once in a while. That is throw out the entire idea of human status and seeking status. And instead, orient your life to who in this world needs help, and how do I help them? That fundamentally, friends, it is not about what other people will say to you, because of who you have decided to help. Whether they are socially rejected, whether they are super weird, whether they smell really bad, whether they smell too good too much of a good thing is never a good thing right if they've spelled too good whether they are suffering from drug addiction or hallucinations or homelessness or whatever to be the servant of all is to throw out all of those ideas and not worry about them but worry as Christ worry about people the way Christ worried about us and that is be servant of all it is also about not getting credit For your service. This is not about. You know. Being able to earn. The John Locke Society ring. For having done. Well in his case. Absolutely nothing. This is not about getting. Your diamond reward status. In heaven or on earth. You still can't earn your way into heaven. You're still called to emulate Christ. What it's about. At a really fundamental level. What this life is about. As Christians. Is following in the example of Christ. As I talked to the kids about a minute ago. If we claim that name Christian. That means we are little Christs. Means we are little Christs. That we are called to look at people. The way Christ looked at people. Christ. Christ the greatest human that ever walked the earth, lived a life of poverty, chose to become a homeless traveling rabbi, and died a brutal death at the hands of the Roman Empire. He who is the greatest, unarguably, has the diamond reward status of all diamond reward statuses, died for you, and died for me, and died for all. That's the example we follow. That's the test. Are we going to care about the things of this world that cares about status and how bad a person smells and how weird that person is? Or are we going to be the servant of all who welcomes even that person of lowest social standing, throws their arms around them and says, if you welcome this one, you welcome me. Can we follow in christ's example by the power of the holy spirit by the work that christ is doing in us we can we can do that the test that we face every day is not can we can we it's not should we it is will we and do we let us pray gracious let me god we give you thanks That even in your greatness and your glory, you came to earth and served us, your creation, who actually should be serving you. And so, God, may we take that example and run with it. May we let your spirit work in us that we not seek the status and importance, but that we may seek only to serve, serve others as you served us. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen.